A few months ago, my beautiful wife, Jade, and I got hooked on a TV show that was on Netflix, of course, called The The Great British Bake Off. (laughs) And on this show, like most cooking shows, there's about a dozen contestants. And in this one, of course, they're baking, and it's in Britain, and they have nice accents. And they compete week to week, and each week someone's eliminated, and you, know, you go through the week until they have one final champion. Uh, the first season of the show I, I thought was particularly enjoyable because of the, the characters. The contestants were so charming. Uh, they, were, they were kind of that British self-deprecating humor and just kind of honest and affectionate towards each other. It was like the opposite of Survivor, where everyone's cutthroat and wanting the other one to get eliminated. Maybe it was just their accent. Maybe it was the nature of just who bakers are, that they seem to be warm, fuzzy people. But we just really enjoyed this show. And it, it became a little bit of an escape for us. Now, we, we ended up kind of watching the whole first season, probably through about two weeks. There was 10 episodes. And so kind of like every night to every other night, we were, we were watching the show and just really enjoying it. And it was just one of those things where when you, when, you, when you turn it on, you can forget about all of the difficulties that are happening around you, right? Whether it's work stuff or for us managing, you know, three very young children, three years and under, or, you know, things going on around you. It's just, you, can, you can just escape. You can turn that off. You can, you can retreat in these things in this show and just kind of forget about what's going on for at least a little while. And we all do this. We all have places that we go to to kind of get away from the stuff that's going on in our life. Something that becomes a place of retreat or rest. Maybe it's an ice-cold Sam Adams at the end of a long day. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cozy couch in the middle of winter, a blanket and a, and a, and a new novel. Maybe it's, it's just jumping online to play some games with some good friends. Shopping online. Can't say that's not me. A bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Oh, my, amen. Turkey Hill. Okay, it's the best. You know, surfing the social media stratosphere. Whatever it is, we, we all have things that we, that we go to as a place of like, I've just got to turn my brain off for a little while. I'm exhausted. I can't keep thinking about work or the things going on around me. The question I want to ask today is, what does the Bible say about escape? What does the Bible say about rest or retreat or a, a place to run to when life feels overwhelming? This is our last week in our three-week series called Binging on God, How to Fall in Love with Your Heavenly Father. And we've been talking about what I would argue is the core of the Christian life, which is a relationship with God that is one of passionate love and mutual friendship and desire. And that apart from that, Christianity moves to a religion and rules. This is the one thing that Jesus calls his followers to, is love and to fall in love with God. 
And so today we're going to talk about escape. And we want to know what does the Bible say about that. And here is what we're going to find in the scripture today. If you want to advance, make God your retreat. If you want to move forward, you have to find God as your place of rest. Let's turn to Psalm 27. We've been looking at the Psalms in this series, specifically three Psalms of David, who's a passionate lover of God. As you see throughout the Psalms as he writes about his his relationship with the Lord. So today we're going to end in Psalm 27. And you heard part of this in the call to worship. So hear it again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing, one thing, the one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You you have said, seek my face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What does the Bible say about how to deal with difficult circumstances? Overwhelming feelings. A difficult day. Where do we run? when we feel discouraged, depressed, disappointed? Do we have an escape? 
And the promise of the Bible is, if you want to advance, make God your retreat. The call of David here, the cry from his heart, is that God would be his place of rest. That God would be his escape. That when he's overwhelmed, he would run to the Lord. Look again at verse 1. The Lord's my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Right? The Lord is my light. God is the one that David looks to as the source of his life. If I was talking about my, my daughter Alma, who's five and a half months old, I, I might say, she's right there, beautiful baby. I might say, Alma, you are just the light of our life. And what I mean when I say that, right, is that she brings our family joy. Then when we look at her, we go, oh, beautiful Alma, you're sweet. You're such a sweetie, right? She brings joy and life into our family in a new way as a new member of our family. David is saying the same thing with God. You are my light. You are the source of life. You're the source of joy. I look to you and you're the one that shines into my life and dispels darkness. He says that God is his salvation, right? And for, we often, I think, immediately go to, okay, Jesus saves us from our sins and, and allows us to not go to hell but to go to heaven. That's probably not what's in David's mind in this passage, although there could be a hint of kind of eternal life in there. But most likely he's talking about God saving him from his enemies as he describes in this passage. If you know anything about the life of David, you know, he kills Goliath, Bonk, you know, there goes Goliath, victory. Then it's 40 years of heck. He gets chased around. He's got to leave his wife. He's getting spears thrown at him. He's living in the wilderness. And God delivered him over and over again from the hand of his enemy Saul. And that continues as David becomes a king, right? God continues to deliver him from other enemies that seek to do him harm. He's talking about this life. And not that we shouldn't talk about the next. That's hugely important. And Jesus emphasizes that. But he's talking here that God is someone that rescues me in places of trouble in my life. Obviously, the ultimate rescue is is Jesus coming and setting us free from our sins. Allowing us to have a relationship with God based on forgiveness of everything we've ever done. But David is talking about a rescue today. He's talking about what, how God has rescued him in his life. And he says that God is my stronghold. He is who I run to when I'm afraid, or I'm hurting, or I'm tired, or I'm feeling empty, or I'm discouraged, or I'm feeling depressed. It's that God is the one that I can run to and find safety, rest, retreat. And then in verse 4, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. David is describing an escape from reality. Is he not? And what he asked for there, he did not get actually. We know he didn't dwell all of his days in the temple. Now eventually when he finally became king, after Saul was defeated and he rose to the throne, there was still some civil war stuff going on. Eventually he experienced some peace and he probably spent lots of time in the temple. So God did answer that prayer, but he did not spend every day of his life. It's a metaphor, so to speak. 
right? Back then, God was in the temple. But David found a way to also experience him when he was outside of that. But it's a connection to the temple that says, I want to be in God's presence 24-7. I don't ever want to be apart from him because I've seen the beauty of the Lord and he's the most beautiful thing on earth. In him is joy, in him is life, in him is love. This is the thing that he's saying, an escape is good. It is not bad. But an escape in God is the best, right? It is the only escape really that helps us to advance. The invitation today, guys, is to make God your place of escape. And the promise, if we meet God in that invitation, is that we will advance. Personally, we will see breakthrough in areas of our life, and we will see His kingdom advance around us, meaning that we will see heaven come in the places of brokenness around us. That is the promise. Uh, Jane and I, our family, went through a... uh, we had just kind of a difficult season in the last couple months. Some things going on in my family and her family. Just, you know, my own deal with just, you know, work and managing three kids and waiting for a house. You know, we've moved four times in the last year and a half with three little kids. And I'm not looking for a pity party. I'm just trying to tell you what we were feeling and experiencing. In that place, I felt... Uh, fear and some darkness like I don't know if I felt to that extent in my life and there was there was there was you know a couple days span where I just was like man I I just don't know how to break this off and we kind of came together and said hey we just need to look at Jesus these circumstances feel so difficult and there's lots of things around them that we cannot change necessarily but the one thing that we can do is we can look at Jesus. And so this is what we did to make that a little more tangible. We just said, all right, before bed, we are just going to put some worship music on and we are just going to worship. Once the kids are finally asleep, right? They're not calling downstairs. We're just going to worship Jesus. And we're going to take our minds off of the things around here and we're going to set our minds on what is above. We're not going to look, right, at earthly things. We are going to look at what is spiritual, what is eternal, as the Bible says, right? And as we did that, we felt a shift in our hearts. We felt a shift from fear to confidence, to confidence that God is our stronghold. Now, we could have continued watching the great British bake-off, and that would not have been sin, right? But it would not have advanced us forward. It would not have moved us to the next place that God was wanting to take us. So I'm not saying that escapes are wrong, although if you're, you know, doing drugs, that's probably not a good place to turn, okay? And I'm not making light of that, but I'm just saying there are things that are unhealthy, there are things that are okay. I'm not trying to talk about that. I'm trying to say what would happen if we started to find God in those places of escape instead of Facebook? or God in place of a TV show, or God in place of you name it. What if that was the first place that we ran? And I just have to tell you, something broke. Something shifted. The fear was lifted. We got that monkey off of our back, and we were able to walk forward in our days in confidence and not in fear. 
That's what happens when you find God as your retreat. Praise the Lord. And it's not because I'm super Christian. I'm not trying to paint that picture. Anyone can turn worship music on and just kind of walk around in the glow for a little while, right? It's not complicated. So what is the result if we do this? Again, if you want to advance, make God your retreat. If, if you want to move the ball down the field, so to speak, you have to get in the huddle. Can you imagine, right? Patriots playing today? Jeremy, what time? Oh, man, is it one? Okay, the party's ended at one. Perfect. Okay, good. Great. You can still go to the party. Okay. What would happen? Tom Brady calls the huddle, and one of the receivers is just standing out there on the line going, I'm not doing that. Everybody looking around like going, are you crazy? Like, how are we going to move the ball forward if you're not in the huddle? Okay? We have to find that place of turning our eyes away from the opposing team. Coming together in the huddle. Focusing on what's going on in heaven. Right? What God is saying. What Jesus is doing. Because He's not discouraged. Because He's not intimidated. Right? He's Tom Brady in the playoffs. Okay? He's going to come back from a 25-point deficit and throw some winning pass. I mean, you know, that's Jesus. Right? He's the ultimate victor. He's not discouraged about your circumstances. He's not depressed. He's not thinking, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? He, his, his mind, the mind of Jesus is constant victory in, in releasing heaven around us. It is a solution to every problem on earth. Right? But we have to get in the huddle. We have to find God as that place of retreat in times of difficulty. Look at verse 2. What's the result? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. We need to take a confident attitude towards things that are opposing us and to oppose them in confidence. Jesus calls us, right? He says that we are more than conquerors. We're not hoping for a victory. We are expecting a victory. We are expecting breakthrough. When we look at the life of Jesus, what happened all around Him? Heaven. Healings, people getting raised from the dead, hopeless, absolutely hopeless situations. A widow loses her son. Jesus sees a funeral procession, walks over, does the most awkward thing in the world, and stops a funeral procession. Can you imagine pulling your car in and blocking those cars? The police are getting out, and you run over to the coffin, and you go, In Jesus' name, get up! And the person springs to life. That's what happens when Jesus is around. And when we have the mind of Jesus, we advance heaven all around us. We turn impossible situations into ones that now have hope, that now have a future. That is the power of Jesus. It's the power of the resurrection. I was hoping for an amen there. But now I'm just asking for him. You're, you're allowed to do that. Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. This is a guy that is saying this, right? Most of you in this room have not experienced war. I have not. I am sure that is, that is terrifying. Especially back then when it was your city that was surrounded by an enemy and it was your family and children that were going to be threatened and potentially wiped off of the planet. 
or enslaved after they killed you, right? If you were the man. This is no small thing that he's talking about. But he's saying, I am confident. He knows the Word of the Lord for him. He knows the promises of God for his life. And so he is confident to be an overcomer and to work against the enemy. Verse 5 and 6. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up. My eyes, my identity, right? Who I am. Instead of being downcast and defeated, I'm lifted up above my enemies all around me. I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. It's an, it's an idea that, you know what? I am gonna, God is going to give me things to praise him about. Not, I'm going to live a terrible struggle in life and things are just always going to be hard. No, that is not the gospel. Yes, yes, we will suffer, Jesus says. But even in suffering, Jesus says, hey, you are more than overcomers. We are hoping, believing, and fighting for victory in every area and for those people around us. It is confidence to say, God will give me reasons to praise him. He will give me reasons to glorify Him. His kingdom will advance. People will get saved through my testimony. People will get healed. Lives will be transformed. My life will be transformed. Things that were hopeless will now have hope. That is Jesus, and that is the power of the one who is raised from the dead. Verse 13. This is not easy. We sing this in this Good Good Father song. I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you believe that? There's, there's, some, there's some deception around us that thinks that, that somehow we shouldn't be expecting good things from God. Or that, you know what? Life's going to be tough, and then I'll die, and then it will be good. No. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's heaven coming to earth. That is the message. And so we're saying, God, you are good, and I will experience your goodness. I will experience you. I will pursue you. I will make you my retreat until my heart can do nothing but rejoice. I reread a book recently. It's called uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's about 200 years old, I believe, by a guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk in France, not really all that educated. I actually don't even know if he could read. The guy said, all of these practices the monks are due, they're great, but they're a little too complicated for me, so I'm just going to try to do this one thing, which is at every moment during my day, I'm just going to try to remind myself that God is there and he loves me. And he did this, and he said it took him about 10 years until he got to a place where he was experiencing the bliss of God all the time. Whether he was washing dishes, which was kind of his duty, he was the dishwasher guy, which is like the lowest of jobs, you know, in the monastery. Or whether he was at prayer, he said it made no difference to me. Whether I was doing my times of prayer, or I was washing dishes, or interacting with someone, I was in the presence of God and I felt the fullness of His joy all the time. That's possible. That's possible, guys. That is the ultimate goodness of God is that no matter what the circumstances are around us, there is a place we can find when we make God our retreat. 
when we make God our escape, when He is the, run, the one that we run to. Brother Lawrence comments in his little book, I had to hold myself back from bursting out with giddy glee and laughter at certain points of his day when he's interacting with people. That is how much of the joy of the Lord he experienced. And guys, at the harbor, we are setting the bar high. Because I don't know about you, but I want joy in my life. And I know that the source of that is Jesus. And I want to say, oh, i got to stop going to ESPN when I'm at the end of a long day and thinking that that is going to advance me. That will not advance me. But if I go to God and make Him my retreat, I will advance. I will gain confidence in the promises of God on my life. I will know my identity and what I have authority to do in this world. And I will experience the joy and the bliss of God. And I'm just telling you, I'm not looking back. Because this is getting fun. Following Jesus is awesome. It is not hard. It is not a difficult yoke. It is a light burden and an easy yoke. And anything else is not the message of the Bible. Even in suffering, Paul says, right? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he is the one that experienced the 39 blows. He was the one that was stoned and they thought he was dead and he actually might have been. He actually might have been and the, the apostles, the other disciples raised him from the dead. We don't know. In that he says, rejoice always. Boom. No one in this room has had a harder life than Paul. If you had, I want to talk to you. Okay? Shipwrecked three times. Bitten by a snake. Right? Stoned. 39 lashes. And not even to talk about the emotional, the emotional fallout for him that could have been there with all of the attack against his person. Right? He's the one that said, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. That's the promise. It's because in the inner world, we can always tap to heaven when we make God our retreat. This is what we see Jesus doing. He knows who He is, and He knows His rights as a Son of God. People are always nervous around lawyers. I was a teacher for a number of years, and we would, I had numerous parent meetings. <clears throat> I don't know what it was, but anytime you had a parent meeting and there, the parent was a lawyer... There was just a little extra sense of like anxiety in that meeting, right? Why? Because they know their rights and they know how to fight for them. If someone is doing something that you say, hey, you can't do that, that's against the law. That might not mean that everything that happens to them is lawful, but that does mean that they know what their rights are and they can then fight for their rights, right? God's called us all to be lawyers. We need to know the Word of God so we know what we have authority over. We know the promises of God for our life. We know how we are able to fight. And we do that by retreating in God. That is what allows us to advance His kingdom. To bring heaven to earth. We see Jesus doing this. What would, did Jesus escape? Absolutely He escaped. It says in Luke, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus said, escape is important. And when I escape, I make God my retreat. 
He had to get away of those circumstances. Ornery disciples that didn't get it over and over again. Crowds that just wanted meals and they didn't want a relationship with Him. The struggles with the Pharisees. Ridicule, you know? All of the different things that were around Jesus. What did He do? God was His retreat. What did He do the night that He was crucified? God was His retreat. So how do we do this? How do we make God our retreat? What does that actually look like in your everyday life that is busy, that's filled with difficult circumstances, things that can be discouraging, disappointing, right? Relational conflict. Let's look at verse 8 and then 14. You have said, seek my face. He's, He's speaking for God. He said, you told me, seek your face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. What an interesting expression. To seek, not just seek the Lord. What does it say? Seek the face. That is, that is an invitation to relationship with someone. Everything's in the face. I mean, there's so much there. Our, our brains are wired to recognize faces. If you, there's like been studies where if you flip a face upside down, you can't see it. But if it's right side up, you can immediately recognize like all these different faces of people. There's, there's so much in expression. God is talking about relationship here. He's trying to describe it in this language of Hebrew, right? This raw kind of earthy language of Hebrew to say, seek my face. Seek relationship with me. And David's saying, your face, O Lord, do I seek. I'm not seeking your will. I'm not seeking primarily help. I am seeking your relationship first and foremost, and then we will deal with the circumstances around you. It's always relationship with God first. That's where everything flows from. Look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, because this is hard to do, and let your heart take courage. Again, he says, wait for the Lord. Now, this does not mean, although this is something that we do at the harbor, pause and listen to God. That is something that we do. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This is talking about wait for God to move. And it does not mean passive, sit in your pajamas, right, in your bed and just wait for for, lightning to strike and then you're a changed person. It's saying, don't go a different direction. Stay on the path that you know that I've led you on. That's the waiting that he's talking about. Wait for the breakthrough that I've promised. Wait for for the word that I've given you that will take you through this season. Okay? And if David's the one saying this, like he was kind of a man of action. Right? There was a lot of things that he did. So he's saying the waiting is saying stay on the course. Continue to find me as your retreat and I will advance you. Do not advance yourself. There's, a new, there's something nuanced about that. Okay? But I hope you're getting the point of Waiting on God is saying, okay, forget it, God. You're not going to do this. I'm doing it my own way. That's what the waiting on the Lord is talking about. So in our daily lives, right? This is what we are trying to do. We are trying to have a consistent love relationship with Jesus. The example of Brother Lawrence is a perfect example of one thing that you could do that 
that might help you connect with God and find him as your retreat. But there's a ton of things you could do, right? And this is where we come back to the, the place where he's saying, seek my face. Because I can tell you, okay, get up in the morning, every day at five, read your Bible and pray. That might be good. But that might not be what God is calling you to do. There was a guy in from out of town that shared that exact thing uh, this, earlier this week. He's, he's, he's a pastor in our movement and a prophet. And he said just in this season, the Lord told him, you need to get up at 5 a.m. every morning and seek my face. And he was careful after he said that, but you need to ask the Lord what it is that you're going to do. Because it's not a formula. It's a relationship. And so I am pushing you. I'm not saying, okay, read your Bible and pray. Okay, you know, get through the Bible in a year. Okay, you know, put on worship music like I did every night. And no, what is God asking you to do? You, say, you just say, God, how do I need to find you as my retreat? Is there something I need to stop going to as an escape and turn to you? That is the question that we're going to end with today. And one more thing to emphasize is we always, I mentioned this before, but we always start in who God is. We always start in relationship with Him. Getting ourselves away from our circumstances, setting our minds on who God is for me, that I know that He's good for me, and rejoicing and giving thanks in that. And through that relationship is when God wants to then deal with our circumstances because now He can because He has our heart. In May, I flew down to Texas, Houston actually, to go on a, a, a short like two or three day retreat with 10 other pastors from our movement of churches in the United States. This is a little round table group uh, that I was a part of and it was a huge blessing to me. But one story I want to share from you is a guy named Travis Phillips. Travis went to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary and while he was there, he started going to a church in Boston called CFCF, which is the church we were also planted out of. He got involved there, got to know uh, kind of our movement of churches and ended up developing a team and planning a church that's now in Phoenix, Arizona. And he told the story this May of what happened, what the Lord had done that's in this past year. They'd been meeting in, you know, different things just like we do, setting up every week, and he just was believing for a building. And his kids went to this Christian school that was associated with a church that was starting to kind of wind down, if you know what I mean. The congregation was getting older, the funds that were coming in were dwindling, and they just kind of, because his kids were going to the school, he just somehow built a relationship with them. And through that process, they started to uh, ask him if there was any interest in his church coming into this space. And so he started to meet with them and discuss the possibility and what it could look like. And they're talking about maybe even giving him the building. And at one point, all of these events kind of happened in the course of a week. It was like a huge turnaround. He got the call that they were, had decided to go to a di- in a different direction. And right before that had happened, he felt like he had a word from the Lord where the Lord told him that this building was going to be theirs. What do you do with that? God, God, I felt like God said to me, this is yours. And now they're telling me, no, we're going to go in a different direction. This is not the way we need to go. He waited on the Lord. And what I mean by that is, he said, Lord, this was your word. I saw, I'm seeking your face. I'm bringing this to you. And he went into action along the path that God led him. He called up an elder, one of the elders in that meeting, and said, hey, can we get together? Can I just talk about this? And he said, listen, this new trajectory that you guys are going, this is not what you told me in that last meeting. It was your vision for where you wanted this church to land. You said this is what you wanted. This is what we are, what we are wanting to do as well. This other direction. And the guy started to agree with him. 
And wouldn't you know it, it turned around and they gave them the building. And so Antioch Phoenix now has a beautiful building that, they're, that they own outright. They, they merged congregations with this other church in this beautiful fashion of an old congregation with a young kind of college-age congregation. It's attached to this Christian school. It is like the hugest win. It's been the hugest win for their church. And I just say that to illustrate what it means to wait on God. It does not mean to sit around. It means to stay the course. But we can only do that when we know what God has spoken, when we've made God our retreat, when we're confident in what he's, what he's done in us, that we can then advance. All right? So let's have the band come back up, and we're going to close. And I just want to share uh, the gospel. And if you feel like you've heard this before, listen again, because this is good news. We were all created for a relationship with God, and the Bible says that God made this world good. Everything in it was awesome when he made it. We had relationship. There was people that had relationship with another, with each other, with God, with creation. But what happened was awful. People rebelled against God and went their own way. They did not wait on the Lord. And so the first two people, the Bible says Adam and Eve, they decided to eat that fruit. And that is the reason the Bible says the world is as messed up as it is. It's not God that made it that way. It turned out that way because people have rebelled against God in their hearts. They've gone their own way. But God is love. And so he entered into the mess of this world, became a man named Jesus. He lived a perfect life. And what he got for living a perfect life, what he got for healing people and telling them the truth, is that people put him to death. And through his death, the Bible says that God was able to bring forgiveness for all of our sins. And so we sit here today with God saying, you are forgiven. Will you receive it and become free? That is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus was the Son of God. He died on a cross for our sins, and he was raised to newness of life to bring victory to this planet, to bring power and authority over darkness, and to shed light over this planet. And all those that call in the name of Jesus will be saved. If that's something that you've never done, you can do that simply today by just saying, Jesus, forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. I want to follow you. That's all it takes is a simple prayer. So let's stand. So Lord, we celebrate today 10 years of the harbor. We celebrate 10 years of knowing and growing in you that we are forgiven of everything. We are free from the power of sin and that we are filled with your spirit to bring your kingdom on this earth. And so Jesus, in this last song, would you speak to each one of us to know, God, how are you calling me to become my retreat? What is it that you're calling me to do so that I can advance in my own life in heaven around us? Let's sing one last song.